Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing through the Beatitudes today and come to verses 7 and 8 in Matthew chapter 5. Today, Pastor Roy will be talking about the merciful. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy as he looks at how we need to be merciful. Today we're continuing on with the life that God blesses, and today we're talking about the compassionate and the clean. Uh, We started off, if you open your Bibles to Matthew 5, we started off talking about the beggar and the broken, the fact that we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ, that we are totally dependent on Jesus Christ for everything in our lives. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, and then we talked about those who mourn, those who grieve, those who have a godly sorrow for sin, who are broken over their sin before a righteous, holy God. God says He will bless that kind of person. And then we looked at the lowly and the longing. We looked at those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We looked at the meek, the lowly, And it's not weakness, it's strength, controlled strength. Uh, We looked at those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the longing for truth, the longing for God's word in our lives. Today we are looking at the compassionate and the clean. We looked at the first four and they kind of focus on our personal relationship with God. And that's the foundation because now we're moving into The next several of these really talk about our relationship with one another in the world. And so he starts off in verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I'm reminded of a guy who had his picture taken and he was very upset with the photographer and he was very upset with the picture. He rushed back to the end of the photographer and said, look at this picture of me. This picture does not do me justice. The photographer looked at him and said, mister, with a face like yours, you don't need justice, you need mercy. And I thought, boy, that's exactly the situation we are in, isn't it? We don't need justice, we need mercy. We need the mercy of God. When I was a young boy, my dad bought a unicycle. And I remember trying to learn how to ride that unicycle. And I said trying because I never learned. (laughs) I learned how to fall off the unicycle. I never learned how to ride it. Um, And what a challenge it was. And now after all these years thinking back about that moment as I was thinking about this uh, message and this illustration, I think I discovered why I couldn't ride it. I think the tire pressure was underflated. I think he bought it in New England somewhere. But anyhow, that's, uh, <laughs> we won't go any further than that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been paying attention to the news in the sports world. So just go look at the sports page the last couple days and it'll sink in. Uh, but anyhow, riding that unicycle was interesting because you had to have perfect balance. Uh, you had to have balance so you wouldn't lean left and wouldn't lean right. And I think about that in relationship to God's mercy in our lives. God has perfect mercy and he has perfect justice. 
and he never confuses the two. However, I think we as humans confuse them a lot. We either are heavy on the side of justice and we're light on mercy, or we're very, very heavy on mercy and we're light on justice. And it it doesn't cancel out one another. God's perfect justice and His perfect mercy work together. And we're going to look at that a little bit later uh, in the message. But all that to say, so when we come to this idea of mercy, we have to understand that God balances those two things perfectly. I want to take a look at the historical look at mercy just for a little bit. Ancient Rome had four cardinal virtues, wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. They did not focus on mercy. It was left out. The interpreter's Bible says the Romans actually despised pity. More mercy was totally contrary to the harsh attitude of the pagan ancient world, especially those who had conquered foes. The Romans, the Romans, uh, right before I do that, let me go back a second. The Romans, a Roman triumphal procession found no place for mercy, but they customarily exposed their hapless prisoners in chains as they paraded them through the town in chains and promoted shame more than mercy. The Greeks believed mercy indicated weakness rather than strength. The Pharisees were harsh in their self-righteous judgment of others. Jewish piety had a deliberately merciless approach to those who did not know the law. To keep the law was of greater importance and sensitivity toward the weakness of those who failed to keep its demands. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is saying that the whole idea of justice, mercy, and faithfulness needs to be practiced among His people. Today, our world is dominated by violence, Cruelty, meanness, unkindness, disrespect, and of course the buzzword in school is bullying. We long for revenge if someone wrongs us. But we need to look at where mercy is grounded. Compassionate mercy is grounded in God. We see this God's compassionate mercy toward the Israelites. Exodus 34, 6 says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And we know how the Israelites lived, don't we? They got into the wilderness, built the golden calf, and God became very, very angry. But even in the midst of his anger and wanting to execute his justice, he also still exercised his mercy. We see over here in Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which He confirmed to them by oath. And this is mainly why God exercised His mercy, because He would not violate His covenant with His people. 
definition of mercy, and this comes out of one of the Bible dictionaries. I forgot to write down which one it was, but it's a divine quality by which God faithfully keeps His promises and maintains His covenant relationship with His chosen people despite their unworthiness and unfaithfulness. That's our God. Despite their unworthiness and unfaithfulness, the mercy of God is there. Then we want to look at God's compassionate mercy on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, you will recall, is a cubit and a half wide by two and a half cubits long. I've got a, I've got a uh, picture of it, and on top, this is a, a picture of a made-up Ark of the Covenant, obviously not the original, has the two cherubim angels facing each other, and between the angels, on top of that lid, was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat represented the presence of God. And on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest was allowed into, and it was placed in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, in the most inter-holy sanctuary of God. The only person that was allowed in there was the high priest once a year, he had to slay animals, the blood of bulls or goats, and he had to sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for his own sin and for the sins of the people. And that's what he had to do. And by placing that blood on the mercy seat, it was a covering for sin. You see, because the Bible says without the shedding of blood in the New Testament, there is no forgiveness of sin. So those animals' blood was shed and it was placed on the mercy seat to be a covering to wipe out sin temporarily. And it was only God's desire and design that that was to be a picture of what Jesus would do when He hung on the cross for us. When He died and shed His blood and gave His life, His blood on the cross, His shed blood on the cross covers and cleanses us from our sin. There's nothing else. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, this whole idea of mercy, the core of that word is actually devotion. God is absolutely devoted to His people. It's used nearly 250 times and is translated in the King James Version as mercy, but also kindness, loving kindness, or goodness. And God's compassion was there, His compassionate mercy. We look in the New Testament, John, 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what did the blood of those animals do when it was placed on the mercy seat? It was the atoning sacrifice for their sin temporarily. Atoning means covering, payment. Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice for sin. When we think in terms of the mercy of God that He hung on the cross for you and for me was the greatest act of mercy that anyone could ever do. He was crucified as a criminal he was shamefully mistreated. What an act of mercy. 
Romans 3.25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now let's go in and talk about God's compassionate mercy balanced with his perfect justice. Justice and mercy do work hand in hand. I'm reminded of the story of a canny farmer in Maine. He was approached by a stranger one day, and the stranger asked him how much he thought his prized Jersey cow was worth. The farmer thought for a moment. He looked the stranger over and he said, Are you the tax assessor, or has she been killed by a car? You didn't get it. (laughs) Was he looking for mercy or justice? He wasn't sure what he was looking for. Justice is the dispensing of deserved punishment for wrongdoing, whereas mercy is all about pardon and compassion for an offender. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock, his works are perfect and all his ways are just, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. But I can guarantee you outside the walls of this church and maybe inside the walls of this church, there are some people who would say that God is not just, that he is not fair because he took something from them, he did something to them. I talked to a guy one time that told me he was an atheist and I said, have you always been an atheist? And he said, no. God let him down. I almost want to say who? (laughs) You're an atheist. You don't believe. Um, But somewhere along the way, people have determined and, and identified or described God's mercy based on their experience rather than this book. If I am going to decide what God's mercy is like based on my experience, I'm going to have a very skewed perspective of God's mercy. I have to get it from God's Word, the Bible. I have to get it from there. Or it's going to be very, very skewed. Psalm 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Just because we do not witness the immediate justice of God towards sin does not mean we are getting away with sin. God will bring judgment in His perfect time. I don't have this verse on the screen, but listen to it in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And it says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Did you hear that? The wrath of God is coming. And here's where the world goes wrong, because they get away with sin, and there's no immediate judgment, so they think they're getting away with it, when all they're experiencing is the mercy of God, giving them time to repent, and they reject They reject, they reject God's mercy. Sin has consequences. We see that in the Bible. God punished sin. He punished Adam and Eve for their sin. He punished Saul for his disobedience when he did not destroy all the animals. 
and kept back some of the animals and did not take care of the king. We see that over and over. David's sin with Bathsheba was punished. The Israelites were punished for their idolatry, and over 20,000 people died in the wilderness. These consequences come as a result of violating God's laws. A judge, listen to this carefully, a judge who ignores the law and justice is betraying his office. If God did not uphold his law with justice, he would be betraying his office. And so therefore, he does bring judgment, and he will bring judgment. However, often what we see in our day is mercy exercised at the expense of justice, and God never sets aside his justice to exercise his mercy. He simultaneously exercised his mercy and justice at the cross. Remember, because sin required the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God stated that as a fact, and Jesus shed his blood to satisfy the justice of God and the holiness of God, and he exercises his mercy in offering forgiveness to those who will embrace that sacrifice. What a gift of mercy that God has extended to you and me. And so the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, and therefore we need to exercise mercy as a result. The story is told of a man who was caught and taken to court because he had stolen a loaf of bread. When the judge investigated, he found out the man had no job and his family was hungry. He tried unsuccessfully to get work and finally to feed his family he stole a loaf of bread. Although recognizing the extenuating circumstances, the judge said, I'm sorry, but the law can make no exceptions. You stole, and therefore I have to punish you. I order you to pay a fine of $10. He then continued, but I want to pay the fine myself. He reached into his pocket, he pulled out a $10 bill, and he handed it to the man. As soon as the man took the money, the judge said, Now I also want to remit the fine. That is, the man could keep the money. Furthermore, he said, I'm going to instruct the bailiff to pass around a hat to everyone in the courtroom, and I am fining everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a man has to steal in order to have bread to eat. The money was collected and given to the defendant. This is an excellent example of justice being meted out in full and paid in full while mercy and grace were also enacted in full measure. That's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So now I want us to look practically. God's compassionate mercy. Oh, I didn't put that on there. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. We do not have to execute that justice. God will execute that justice. A picture of compassionate mercy in action. Right before, as I do that, I want to bring something over here and get us to consider for a moment our level of mercy. And I thought sometimes it can help to have a, a little picture of that. 
Let's say that these two containers represent mercy. Which reservoir would be your life? You know, as I thought about this message, I was greatly convicted about my lack of mercy toward people. And I realized that these probably do not represent my life. But I did find something that did. It's a communion cup. Um, how about you? When it comes to mercy, us exercising mercy toward other people. Well, let's look at a real-life situation, a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, the Good Samaritan and how mercy behaves. Number one, mercy moves to bring relief to a painful situation. Let's just take a moment and flip over to Luke chapter 10 for a moment. To refresh our memory, Jesus is talking to an expert in the law in verse 25 of chapter 10 who stands up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he fell in the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Which reservoir do you think the Good Samaritan was? This? This? Or this? I tend to think it was this one. So I'm challenged and I'm convicted. Mercy moves to bring relief to a painful situation. And the only way I can do that is I have to be sensitive to the needs of people around me. It's amazing how people can come in and out of church and not even speak to anyone at all. How do you know what the needs of that person is next to you or a few rows in front of you or behind you? Or do you even care? <laughs> or do I even care? That's convicting to me. And people that I meet in the marketplace, 
how am I going to take pity on them? I have to have sensitivity to their needs. There are a lot of people in Huron who need someone from Bethesda Church to take pity on them. I love John Wesley's motto, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as you can. I like that. There's concern, there's care that is grounded in pity and sympathy toward others. Christian compassion, a theologian said, is this, toward others should reflect the compassion of God for His people. Another thing that deeply convicted me was a lack of mercy is regarded as characteristic of godless people. Think about that. A lack of mercy is regarded as characteristic of godless people. Isaiah 13, 18, I'll just give you one example. Here's what it says. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Ouch. And yet Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's go on to the next one. Mercy ministers to the specific needs of a hurting individual. There are many walking wounded people around us. We have people who need a tender touch or an encouraging word. Is it merely the pastor's job or the leadership of the church's job to visit people in the nursing home? To visit shut-ins? Or is it the family of God's responsibility? Something to think about as we think about showing mercy. I ask myself the question, though, as I, I think about this, and, and what is it that kills mercy in our lives? What is it that hinders us from really exercising mercy? And I'm sure there's many things, but I do want to mention one this morning because this one, I think, has impacted our society probably greater than we can comprehend. And I don't think the research is doing it justice. I don't think the research is probably accurate, in my opinion. Uh, and that is this, if I can get it to come up, the gaming industry. Um, we are absolutely obsessed in the gaming industry. Uh, we look around at some of the things. Halo 3 sold $170 million in the first 24 hours it was available. Halo Research came out after that, $200 million in 24 hours of its release. Halo 4, $220 million opening day. Over 60 million copies sold worldwide, totaling nearly $3.4 billion. Now, here's what I've noticed when I looked at the research. The research, if you look at different websites, will actually tell you there's less violence in our world today. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> like, I don't know where they're getting their numbers, but it, the absolute violence that we see, the, the really bad violence, they said, has gone down. <laughs> well, I find that hard to believe. 
But here's what I don't see in their research. I do not see in their research where they are showing acts of mercy going up. <laughs> That's missing. And I wonder why. Because we don't even focus on it. I don't see any research. Maybe there's some out there where there's acts of mercy that is actually going up. There's more. Game popularity, over 1.6 billion hours of online gameplay have been logged on Modern Warfare 3 since its release in 2011. I don't even know a lot about these games, except that a lot of them have to do with blood, guts, violence, language, sex. I mean, it's all out there. Killing. Um, and, but how can we absorb all of that into our mind? I think when we absorb that into our mind, it is killing our compassion. It is killing our mercy. And it's having a great effect on us. The Call of Duty sold over $10 billion, according to Activision. $10 billion. In 2009, 25% of games were played by people over 50 years of age. I was like, wow, this just isn't a teenage problem. <laughs> this is adults who have addictions to games. And I wonder if I took those 20 hours a week or whatever I'm playing games, and what if I actually started doing an act of kindness, an act of mercy <laughs> towards someone? I don't have time. People say, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time. Well, where are they getting time to do all this? <laughs> That's my question. Um, it's incredible. So here's just some of the games that I listed. Call of Duty, Black Ops, Killzone 3, Battlefield 3, Grand Theft Auto, Mortal Kombat, Advanced Warfare. Do you see any <laughs> kind of continuity there? Violence, 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 violence. Is it any wonder why we see a lack of mercy in our world? I think that, you know, the Bible says that a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what are you thinking about when you're sitting in front of that screen hour after hour? It's killing mercy and compassion. Our relationships have become very superficial. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to reach out to someone who doesn't fit your criteria? I remember my mom and dad, we took a family in. We had six kids, and we didn't have very many rooms. And we took in a family of four. And we, like I say, we didn't have that large of a house, but we took them in because there was a need. And I know some of you have done that as well. Thank, thank you for doing that. Uh, it's a great sacrifice. And I'm not telling everybody to run out and bring somebody in. I'm, that's not my point. My point is, it's just showing these acts of mercy, however God would put that in our hearts to do. Someone said there's no better exercise for the heart than reaching down and lifting people up. Let's go on to the next one here. Mercy sacrifices personal possessions with joy. When you see the Good Samaritan, 
It says he took pity on him, and in verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Took him to an inn, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. I don't think he did that begrudgingly. (laughs) I think he did it with great joy in his heart that he was ministering. And this was not one of his kind. (laughs) And yet he still ministered. What an act of mercy. I'm quite certain the Good Samaritan got more out of this poor man that he found between Jerusalem and Jericho than the poor man got out of him. What a great investment. A wise person said, We do not need more money in our pockets as much as we need more mercy in our hearts. And I thought, how true. In 1 John 3, 17, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Fourthly, mercy becomes a way of life for those who have received mercy. I do not believe that the Good Samaritan, before he left his house that day, said, I am on a mercy mission. I know somebody's out there hurting and I need to go. I think he left with the idea that he's a man of mercy. And that was a way of life for him. And he spontaneously saw this man. It was not on his agenda. It was not on his schedule. It was not something he was planning. It was something that God put in his path. And he merely picked it up and showed an act of mercy. And that's convicting to me because that's not my mode of operation. After all, I'm sure he didn't walk out saying, well, I've got extra time today. I don't have anything else to do today. Besides, the weather is nice. It's good to be outside. I'll go back to my church and tell everybody what a great thing I accomplished. (laughs) I don't think that was his motive. How can we get mercy to grow in our life? Mercy grows through prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. We get mercy by coming to the throne of grace. Saying, God, I need, I need mercy. Isn't that what David did when he sinned with Bathsheba? God, have mercy on me. According to your loving kindness, blot out my transgressions. He threw himself at the mercy of God. We, when we come to the throne of grace, we throw ourselves at the mercy of God and ask him for help. Mercy is also intended to be passed on. It is not intended just to be kept. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, Some translations will say the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort 
who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can do what? Comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's what God wants to do. He takes in mercy, brings comfort to my aching heart, and I, as I receive that comfort, then can extend mercy to someone else who will bring comfort to their heart. It is never meant to just be for me or for you. It's meant to be passed on. Mercy is to be passed on to others. James says it well. He says in James 2.13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And indeed, it does. Mercy also extends forgiveness. We see that in Matthew 18, when the man came and he owed someone a debt. We won't take the time to read it, but I would encourage you to read it. He owes a debt, and the man grabs him by the throat and wants payment, and who had been forgiven a great debt, as much as $10 million, and he's wanting 20 bucks from this guy grabbing him by the throat, saying, pay me that 20 bucks. He had been forgiven 10 million. And he's wanting 20 bucks. Here was a person who did not understand mercy and forgiveness. And God says, for the one who will not forgive, he will not be forgiven. In other words, if we truly understand forgiveness and we have received the mercy of God, we can never hold something against somebody else because What I hold against somebody else could never be greater than that in light of what God has forgiven me. He's forgiven me this much. How could I withhold forgiveness for that much and give them mercy? That's what God asks us to do. So he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let's stand for a word of prayer. We will talk about the clean next week as we did not have time to cover that today. Let me ask you a question. In relationship to these reservoirs I have up here on the table, which one best represents your life. I confess to you, mine is the smallest cup. That doesn't please me, and I know it does not please the Lord. I would like to graduate. I would like all of us to graduate. We do not have a reservoir here to hold the grace of God because the universe could not hold a reservoir large enough for the grace and mercy of God. But we do have people in our world, in our community, who are deeply hurting. And they need a touch from people in the church. We need to touch one another in the church and exercise mercy toward one another in the church. And I trust that God will help us do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. And you have rejected the mercy of God. 
God in his mercy has brought you here another time to hear the gospel. He's brought you here another time to hear the word of God. He's brought you here another time to give you an opportunity to respond to the truth. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. There is no other payment that will cover your sin. And God is reaching out to you right now in mercy, saying, will you receive my mercy? Will you receive my offer of grace in salvation? Will you receive forgiveness of your sin, of what Jesus has done? It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church. Have you personally received the mercy of God? For your sin. If you haven't, I would encourage you to seek me out after the service. Pray in your seat and ask God to forgive you. Throw yourself at the mercy of God and receive his mercy today. For those of us who are believers, God wants us to be not only recipients of mercy, he wants us to be dispensers of his mercy. That we show mercy toward one another. And I trust that God will help us grow in that area because we live in a merciless world, don't we? A vicious, violent world. God help us. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.